You are now listening to Testimonies with Terry. Hey, what's up, everyone? Welcome to the seventh episode of Season 2 of Testimonies with Terry. I'm your host, Terry Skaggs, and you can find me on Instagram and Twitter at TWTerryPod, as well as by liking the Testimonies with Terry Facebook page. On today's episode, you're going to hear the testimony of a man who has finally woken up to what God wants to do through him and his life. You'll hear how his defiance in life led him to juvenile delinquency, alcoholism, drug use, and multiple job losses. Coming to his lowest point, you'll hear how he's been seeking out God with a renewed fervor in order to be obedient to God's calling on his life. From high and wasted to sober and redeemed, ladies and gentlemen, this is Ben Weirs' Testimony. All right, guys, I am here with my buddy, Ben Weirs. Ben, thanks for coming on the show, man. Yeah, Terry, thanks for having me. Yeah, Ben, we uh, we kind of had an interesting way of starting our friendship. It was right as COVID was hitting. Yeah. Our church went online just like every other church in America pretty right. much did. And uh, we did our life groups online, and yeah. you and your wife, Alyssa, joined that, and that was how we met. Yeah. And didn't even really meet in person until like Five months after the fact or yeah, something actually, like that. Yeah. Virtual introduction, virtual relationship. Yeah. Yeah. Finally got to meet each other. I think I remember that day almost like it was yesterday. Yeah. I think we walked up to each other at church and it was like, oh, you're a real person. Yeah. yeah right. <laughs> you do exist. Right? Yeah. Right. Yeah. And uh, yeah, it's been great getting to develop that friendship with you and, and Alyssa and your family since that time. And Ben and uh, his agency, they're the ones that actually helped design the Testimonies with Terry logo. And so yeah. I'm forever uh, grateful for your help with that. I'm, you know, obviously super happy with how that turned out. And yeah. so, um, yeah, it's, it's great to have you on and I'm excited to uh, learn more about you because again, sure. our friendship is relatively new-ish and uh, excited for the people to hear about your story as well. Yeah, no, I appreciate you having me on. Yeah. So Ben, you know how we start this off. <laughs> it's, right, uh, yeah. Where did you grow up and what was family life like yeah, for you? Yeah, for sure. Um, so I grew up in uh, Minneapolis, yeah, in South Minneapolis. Um, I grew up in a family of th- uh, four kids, including myself. Uh, mom and dad were present. Um, I, I grew up in a good home, uh, grew up Catholic, went to Catholic grade school, high school, definitely grew up in a home that had God involved in our life, which was which was great, but just like any family, you know, our family had its fair share of of challenges, you know, family dynamics and um, you know, financial issues and, you know, losing relatives and stuff like that. Um, so no different than than a lot of people, but generally speaking, I had I had a good a good family upbringing. I was, you know, pretty close with my family and uh yeah, so it was it was good. What was that like growing up in Minneapolis? Yeah, uh, it, you know, I I I really appreciate where I was raised. Uh, it, it was a it was a bit different time twenty thirty years ago than it than it is now. Um, 
but but still you know had the the diversity and the dynamics and all that stuff that that you envision in a in a large city so i i really appreciate that part of my youth but actually along with that it's uh that upbringing um was part of what crafted me into the uh young adult that i turned into and uh obviously i'll go into that a little bit more here but um but yeah no it was um it was a good experience and like i said it, it's it's definitely part of my story but as you know i uh got out of dodge and and moved to cold spring minnesota a couple years ago so i think my true heart and my calling is in uh is in in rural life but but yeah it's it was all it was all part of the all part of the story which is good yeah i i know you're really into the outdoors yeah. you know fishing and, and yeah. hunting yeah. i know when we kind of get together in the summers you like to show everyone up with your <laughs> oh, fishing skills on. yeah right yeah <laughs> And, um, it's passion, not cockiness and confidence. Right? Yeah, no, yeah, and, right. and, and we're just <laughs> yeah, giving you crap about that. Yeah. But um, where where did that love and passion for that uh, stuff come from? Yeah. you know, if you grew up right in, right. in, in the heart of the city. Yeah, no, great question. Uh, it, it was really, I think, my dad and my grandfather that pulled me into that lifestyle. Um, my dad, you know, from when I was born, was a, a relatively avid hunter. Um, but my grandpa was a very, very passionate fisherman. Uh, interesting fact about my family, my great-grandfather actually invented the pontoon uh, just down the road in Richmond. What? Yeah. I didn't so, know that. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, you know, lake life, I guess, is, I don't know if you will, in my blood maybe a little bit. Yeah. But, um, but and that's kind of part of the story of us coming up here. But, but yeah, I grew up coming up. Uh, to this area and going on the chain of lakes here and spending many weekends every summer, you know, fishing and swimming and doing all the things that you do at the lake and, you know, shooting birds with BB guns and, and all the fun stuff. So yeah, despite growing up in the cities, um, I, uh, had a lot of exposure to, you know, the outdoor, um, recreations, um, that maybe some people don't when they grow up in an urban setting. Uh, so I was really fortunate with that. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Was What was that like then kind of leaving the city to, to go up here during the summers and yeah. there's not as many people, traffic isn't an issue. Right, Just, right. you know, you, you can kind of just do whatever you want because you have the, the space and you have the uh, just area to do that all. Yeah. What was that like for you? Yeah, I mean, those are some of the most fond memories I have as a child. I mean, hands down for sure. Just, you know, driving up, packing the, the station wagon up or the van that we had, you know, with all the kids and all this stuff and coming up here for the weekend. And like I said, it was just, you just could roam free and it just was that free spirit kind of, you know, not like you said, not the congestion and the concrete jungle and all that kind of stuff. So because of where I grew up, it, 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 I think it was much more impactful to be able to go have those kind of experiences. So, yeah, I mean, it was, it was, it was definitely a blessing to be able to, to have, you know, a cabin, uh, to come up to and get out of the cities and stuff like that. So, yeah, yeah, for sure. So Ben, I, I know as we've been talking, your story, kind of like the, the meat and potatoes of your story kind of starts in your like preteen, you know, early teenage years, right? Yeah. So yep. why don't we kind of get into that? You kind of alluded to it earlier where 
growing up in the cities kind of yeah. impacted and shaped you into that person at that time of your life. So yeah, yeah. tell us more about that. Yeah. I, um, man, where to begin, right? Um, so some of the friends that I associated with as a youth uh, didn't have as much structure in their family as mine did and got exposed to maybe some some of the the more challenging aspects of city living, uh, you know, with crime and, and drugs and alcohol and all that kind of stuff that, you know, kind of are the negative aspects of, of those metropolitan areas. So, you know, I, I definitely, like I said, I went to a uh, Catholic school. So most people think, you know, you're, you're above all of that, the riffraff, but that's not necessarily true and all. And I had a lot of friends outside of the school that I went to. So like I said, I, I just got exposed to some of those m- maybe darker sides of, of city living uh, pretty early on, you know, had friends that, um, parents were breaking the law and doing doing some shady stuff and and because of that you know as a kid if you, when you get exposed to that it normalizes things right and and then i become friends with these kids and get exposed to it myself and you know you get into cliques and groups and and then you find yourself engaging in some of these activities right so i've always had some challenges being kind of defiant and and um struggling with authority and kind of the obedience side of civilized life. And, and I think that's kind of a lot where that started and just that, that feeling of, of breaking free and getting out and just doing my thing and being on my own. And I remember um, just jumping on the bike and biking all over the city with, you know, a group of friends and stuff like that. And, you know, when you're 10, 11, 12, 13 years old, you don't really have supervision. You, you tend to find yourself doing things that you probably shouldn't be, you know, picking up spray paint cans and throwing stuff at stuff that shouldn't be thrown at and, you know, all sorts of stuff. So, you know, again, that was part of my story growing up, right? And what kind of turned me into the person I was as a young adult. So that's kind of where I think um, my challenges as a youth started. Yeah, I I think about that time of life and that's when, you know, in school we start being taught about peer pressure, you know, yeah. whether it's, you yeah. know, usually it's drugs and alcohol right. or yeah. sex or things like that. And so for you, again, you you kind of grew up in, you know, when I hear people that grow up in a Catholic, you know, school and setting, you just kind of think about like this, you know, squeaky clean yeah, family. Right. And, and like you said, that's not the case, but for you to kind of get outside of that setting and into like the streets per se, how much peer pressure did you face? Like, did it take a lot of convincing for you to get into that stuff? Or was that, was there that part of you that was just like, Hey, I want to, you know, kind of just see what this is like, kind of like living on the edge. Yeah. There was kind of that cool factor to some of that wrongdoing that drove me to continue down that path there was an element of peer pressure right when all your friends are doing something you you know everybody else threw an egg at that car so i can't wuss out you know i mean there is definitely some of that um you know i don't ever i don't ever look back and go hey you know it was like a life or death situation that i had to do some of this stuff so 
you know, there was definitely a part of me just making bad decisions, no doubt. But like I said, just just the people you're exposed to and the environment you're in just kind of it makes some of that feel okay and normal, right? So um it it was a it was a, a collective of a lot of different factors, but but yeah, it was just the people I was around and wanting to be cool and fit in and you know, that was just normal part of being a kid, right? Yeah. So then as you were doing that stuff, did you get in trouble either with like yeah. the police or school <laughs> or parents? Yeah. All of the above. Yeah. I mean, um, you know, there was times that, uh, that I got suspended or what they called, uh, we had behavior slips in my grade school and stuff like that. Got a lot of those sent home. Uh, but <clears throat> seventh, eighth grade was when I really started getting my wings and branching out and I got uh, you know, caught at midnight and stuff, biking around and cops take me home and stuff like that. That happened a few times and I never really got in really serious trouble. I guess that's a relative term to some people, but right. uh, I guess getting brought home by the cops might sound like that, but, but no, and my, and my, bless my parents, my, my dad and mom did what they could to put me in check and, you know, remind me that, uh, there's rules and stuff for a reason. And, but yeah, I, I wasn't, it's not like I was above the law or anything like that. And I definitely, you know, had my fair share of, uh, troubles and stuff like that, uh, even just before high school. But like I said, that, that kind of set me up for, I think almost a little bit of failure moving forward. Right. And, and as you get older, the stakes get higher and the activities get more serious and stuff like that. So, yeah. And we've talked a lot on this podcast about how important those teenage years are in yeah. our development. And I think about during that time, as you're doing these things and hanging around with those crowds that influences how you think about yourself and, and yeah. just kind of the reputation that you have with people too. And so what was your reputation and what did you think of yourself? <laughs> uh, you know, I think, I think that that's what really set the foundation for my my lack of obedience and kind of my defiance and maybe my my serious discontent for authority and stuff like that it it just kind of created this mentality in me of i'm just going to do my thing screw you kind of thing you know just that that kind of mentality and not that it was a super conscious decision but looking back, um, you know, especially when I got into high school and stuff like that, um, you know, I think about playing sports and stuff and I always butt heads with coaches and, you know, people that genuinely are just trying to see you become a better person and improve. And a lot of improvement comes with looking at yourself in a constructive way and saying, what are the negative aspects of me or the things that I could do better and how can I improve them? And, you know, when a lot of people just generally people get offended when you call out flaws. Right. But for me, it was like, just didn't want to hear it. Right. And at that point in my life, I was, I was pretty self-aware and self-aware is definitely a big theme in my life. Uh, especially now that I'm just trying to strongly instill in myself, right. Looking at yourself constructively, but just had a really hard time with that. And I think that started with those preteen years of, you know, going out after curfew and, you know, vandalizing stuff and, and doing some stealing here and there. Right. And, um, 
you know, it just was kind of that I'm going to fight authority and that's just who I am. So that, that kind of cra- that started to craft really who I was. Right. And I just started to live it out. And, um, yeah, like I said, looking back, it's, it's, it's frustrating and it's, it's, it's eye opening and stuff like that. You know, when you're in it as a teen and stuff, you don't, you're not that strategic about your life, right? Often. You're mostly just kind of doing whatever feels good, right? Exactly. And what everybody else is doing, right? And it feels normal and right and not necessarily right by society, right? But it's just, this feels like what I should be doing. So, yeah, I think, I think it, it just the, the lack of obedience and just that defiance, I think, is what really became that foundational element in my teenage years that drove me into deeper challenges you know as i started to become an adult and that's part of the things that i had to overcome right and that i'm still working through today right so with all this being said you were also in school as this was all going on (laughs) at least you were supposed to be in school Uh, yeah right Um, and so what was that like um yeah yeah, like i said because my parents were so diligent about uh, what you might call hover parents, I guess, uh, not, not to talk bad about them cause I love them to death, but they made sure they kept a, a very close eye on me. And so the skipping school and stuff like that was really, really hard. Um, cause my parents were just on top of it and they knew me. Right. So fortunately I, um, I did attend school regularly. Uh, but I, I definitely didn't put a lot of, a lot of effort into it. My mind was a million other places, but, uh, I guess speaking to kind of, you know, progressing through school and getting into high school, you know, again, just, I, I think just because of my upbringing, I, I, I felt mature, right. And I, I seemed to mature quickly and kind of had to, and, um, and actually I met my wife, uh, freshman year of high school and we, uh, got into a really serious relationship and I, you know, I just said my wife, so, uh, ended up getting married and I've been with her since basically 14. So, which is pretty rare nowadays, right? To like, (laughs) you know, not just stick with your high school sweetheart, but to marry them. Yeah, no, I, yeah, I, I mean, you don't really see that much at all, especially now. Right. But yeah, no, I mean, again, it's definitely part of my story and I love my wife to death. I would never take it back, but you know, as a, as a 14, 15, 16, 18 year old, in the world we were living in, that was kind of different, right? And almost, I don't know if I'd say taboo, but, you know, a lot of my friends would give me crap for that, right? And, uh, you know, I always felt the need to check with my wife or, you know, that was always kind of in the back of my head. Or she was my girlfriend at the time, right? But no, again, it in a, looking back on it in a weird way, I think it kept me out of a lot of trouble that I probably would have got myself into unknowingly, but I still found ways to make it hard for her to want to stay with me. So, but yeah, like I said, uh, met my wife, uh, in high school, had a very serious relationship with her, um, throughout high school and college and, and obviously now to this day, but, but yeah, I, um, I guess talking more about my high school experience and stuff like that. Um, I guess right before high school, so I had an older brother and he, you know, had a similar situation growing up as me a little different obviously everybody does but because i had an older brother he kind of pulled me into maturity a little faster as well 
and so I, you know, got exposed to drinking and, you know, smoking pot and stuff like that, you know, a year or so before high school and started to become one of these weekend habits and, you know, the party thing started becoming more prevalent as I got into high school and, and then in high school, that's again, where that kind of took off, you know, just drinking on the weekends and, you know, smoking pot and started, you know, chewing and stuff like that pretty regularly, um, early on in high school. And so I think high school was, was definitely where that foundation that I kind of talked about of defiance and stuff really took off. And, you know, you just get exposed to a lot more at that point in your life and, um, you just feel so much older. And so high school was a, an interesting time, but, Somehow I managed to make it through. Yeah, it sounds like it really solidified some of those like defiant and disobedient, you know, behaviors and, and yeah. thought patterns that yeah. you had. Yeah, for sure. And yeah, and, and it manifested in a lot of different ways. You know, like I said, just the drinking and, and you know, drugs. And um, I, I've had a job uh, actually pretty much full time in the summertime since I was like 13. I uh, actually started caddying early. Uh, at a country club, which is just super ironic too. Not ironic maybe, but it's just, I think pretty funny knowing who I am and who I was and everything. I was caddying at like one of the elite uh, country clubs in in Minnesota, but made good money and whatever. But I I say that because even in those seemingly kind of meaningless jobs, I, man, I worked at so many places. I worked at Brutus Bagels and uh, Best Buy, uh, this place called Bachman's. It was, I had, I've, man, I can't even count probably how many jobs I've had, but, but even in those situations, you know, it was, I was just kind of that, just had that, that weird outlaw mentality. Right. And I would got caught up in stealing some stuff and I actually, uh, stole a couple iPods. It's going to date me a little bit, I guess, from Best Buy. And my parents found out my dad actually made me bring them back to Best Buy and tell my manager and fess up and stuff. That was says a lot about my dad, but also says about a lot about where I was at. Right. And this is all in high school at this point. Um, had another job working at a restaurant, a pretty nice restaurant actually. And I was a wait assistant and this was about when I was 17, I think. And I was stealing cases of beer and bottles of wine and stuff and, you know, for the party and on the weekends and stuff. So, yeah, I mean, it definitely, like, you know, like you said, and like I've said, I, I think that defiance and that just kind of complete disobedience and just screw the world mentality kind of thing just really got solidified in me. What do you think it was about the stealing? It sounds like it started off as, you know, we're kind of vandalizing things and we're playing, you know, pranks, we're, you know, partying and drinking and, and smoking. And then, you know, to go from that to stealing, like, what do you think kind of led up to, to that? Cause in my mind, we're kind of ratcheting it up another intensity yeah, level. There. Right, right, right. Um, actually, I mean, the theft, I guess, started even in those preteen years and stuff with those, you know, groups of kids I was running around with, oh, okay. um, you know, but that's kind of where it started. Right. And, um, and it, it's really just that, that defiant and screw the world kind of mentality that was in, that was just being created in my mind that I think was the majority of it. But 
this is going to sound really weird, but just looking back on it, like I'd never really stole as out of like greed. I think a lot of it was just that, 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 uh, living on the edge feeling a little bit. That adrenaline rush. Yeah. Right. That primarily. And then also, I mean, like I mentioned the iPods and stuff. The funny thing is, is like I would give those away to like friends or I would sell them to somebody and use the money to like buy like Alyssa, like a flip phone or, you know, like, <laughs> like something cool. Right. So like it, it was never this like really selfish, greedy intent. It was just kind of this like living on the edge and, oh, who can I give something to? Right. So it was yeah. almost that like Robin Hood feeling of like, I'm doing this for, for you guys, you know, I, I don't know. Kind yeah. of weird, but yeah, that yeah, maybe your like heart or intentions were somewhat good, but also still did not justify. Right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like this is not right. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Exactly. No. And, but, and, and that I guess speaks to, again, like I said, I grew up Catholic and, and God was definitely part of my life since I can forever. Um, but what Catholicism I think didn't really, where it fell short for me in my faith journey was that overt outwardly facing life as a Christian, right? For Catholicism, it was kind of, you internalize it a lot, right? Like it, you keep it to yourself, right? And you don't, you know, you don't go to a Catholic church and see people raising their hands and hooting and hollering or saying amens to the sermon, right? And there's nothing wrong with Catholicism or anything. I mean, to each their own. And actually my, my younger brother te teaches at a Catholic school and he's got some great people in his community that have helped him press into his faith. So I don't talk bad about it, you know, being Catholic, but for me, it just, I think that's where it fell short. Um, and I say that because like I said, God was definitely there in my life. And I heard the whispers in my preteen years and my teen years. And I've told you this story before, but, um, um, later in high school when I was working one summer for, um, a moving company, I, uh, decided one night on like a Thursday night that I was just going to get drunk by myself in my parents' basement, you know, ended up drinking a bunch just by myself one night. And then the next morning I had to get up at like, you know, 6am to get to go to work and be at this moving company and they got going early or whatever and woke up at like, you know, five minutes to seven when I had to be at work at seven and it's maybe a 15 minute drive or something like that. So I get up and I'm throwing my stuff on racing there and ended up, I don't know if I fell asleep or just the hungoverness or whatever it was, but blew a, ended up blowing a stop sign and getting T-boned by another car and flipped my car. And I, I just remember waking up with my car on its side, on the driver's side, my face was against the window. Basically the window was between me and the pavement, which wasn't broken weirdly. Um, and I wasn't buckled. The car I had didn't even have working seat belts. Um, basically crawled out of that without a scratch, you wow. know, and you know, cop showed up and all this stuff. And the cop that showed up was actually a, a kid I played hockey's with dad and he shows up and he's just kind of asking me about my parents and my family and like, didn't even seem to like care about the situation. And I, he literally just let me walk home and I walked like, you know, five miles home after basically averting death, you know? Right. And, uh, 
And so there's just a lot of these moments, you know, looking back that I'm like, wow, God, you were trying to wake me up, right? Like it was, how much more can you be shaken and, you know, be given signs to maybe think about your life a little bit? But I just walk home and, you know, on to the next day, yeah. <laughs> you know, I think I even had my mom bring me to work, you know, and uh, yeah. So, I mean, like I said, God was always present and he's and he is i say that with un, unequivocally he's always walking with you right he's here right now he's always with you no matter how how much you think you're in the dumps or how much in a rut you're you are with with your crutch or your idols or or the struggles you have you know god is right there and he's he's trying to speak to you Right. And it's just a matter if you're paying, if you pay attention or listen. Right. Amen. <laughs> yeah. So, but yeah, it, it, you know, I think again, that just kind of sums up just the disaster of it, of teenage years that I was going through and just kept pressing on, you know, and, you know, just, I, I, like I said, wake up. I, I read this book, um, the book of waking up. It's by Seth Haynes. And that's where I get this term wake up. I really love that book. Actually, that was, I think it might be the first, well, one of maybe three or four books that I've read cover to cover but until that point, you know, even in school and stuff, I never finished books and stuff. You know, I do my book reports with spark notes or, uh, <laughs> Good old spark yeah, notes. Or, you know, you read the back of the book and get that synopsis and, you know, you have make some inferences and you throw something together, right? Like kind of that pull it out of your butt yeah, and that, there that, we go. Yeah. That sums up my, <laughs> my, uh, my effort in school pretty well. But, uh, anyway, so I, I use that term waking up because that book kind of frames it up that way, but it's essentially, you know, God's here, God's in your life. God wants, he's got a plan for you. Right. And m more often than not, almost all the time, we're our own roadblock, right? Yep. You know, it's like get out of your own way and become self-aware, like realize that most of the challenges you face in life are your own fault. Right. And and there's a lot of things you that happen that you can't control. Right. If a meteor hits the earth, it's like that wasn't your fault. Right. right? But at the end of the day, you know, I'm getting ahead of myself a little but You know, as I got into the workforce after college and stuff, I, you know, I'm always looking at my friends like, oh, why are they getting a raise or why do they have a great boss and why is mine so terrible and why can't I get a rate, you know, like, and looking back, it's like, you know, yeah, you could have got lucky and had a better boss or a better situation. But in all honesty, most people that have any success, it comes through just grit and hard work and, right. and determination. And, you know, that, that self-awareness of, I just can't let this all influence me. Right. I just got to be the best me. And just let the cards fall where they lay, right? Yeah, let, let's back up a little bit. High school, yep. uh, we, we talked about, like you said, kind of the disaster <laughs> that was for you. <laughs> and then disaster that was Ben Weir's in high school. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and then your car accident that, you know, should have woken you up, but yeah. it didn't. Yeah. And so now you're out of high school and we're supposed to go off to college and mm -hmm. really find out who we are and, <laughs> yeah, and right. you know, contribute to society. What was that like for you? I, I found out uh, definitely who I was, and I solidified it um, in in college in a negative way. I so again, I man, just looking back, so blessed to go to good schools and 
and to make it through graduating high school and college despite my lack of effort and everything. But so I ended up getting into the U of M, which is a really difficult school to get into. Yeah. Not generally speaking, but, you know, graduated high school with that, that uh, whopping, you know, like 2.7, I think was maybe even, maybe I think I'm rounding up. But again, just like by the grace of God, got into the U of M, like should never have happened, right? And, uh, but was fortunate too. And so went and got a good education there. Um, but again, my, my, my focus was not on school. It was, you know, that's where the partying and the drinking and the, you know, the drugs and stuff like that really, really took off for me. And before we get into that, what were you majoring in or what were you going to school for? Yeah. Uh, so I, I went into college a little uncertain, like I'm sure a lot of people do. My dad is a electrical engineer and the apple doesn't fall far from the tree. I'm a very right-brained kind of person in that sense. So that was kind of my initial pursuit was thinking about doing something engineering related, but uh, my grades didn't allow me right away to get into the engineering school. So I was in like the general, the general college. And I think that sums up who I was as a youth general college guy, but um so that was kind of my intent. Um, and then at transition, I, I think I went into uh, construction management because long and the short, my, my my wife's father, is uh, he owns a concrete masonry company. So I did some of that in, in high school in the summers and stuff. So kind of like the construction world and thought that that was a good route. Went, did that for about a year, realized it wasn't really for me, and then ended up getting into marketing and business. Mm-hmm. Um, which I graduated with a marketing degree and now that's more, that's what I did as a professional since then. So that, that's, that's what I ended up going to school for. But like any, uh, lost youth, I took me a while to figure it out. Um, so yeah, I guess as I was, uh, pursuing my degree in a variety of different things, but inevitably marketing, I, my commitment level to school from high school transition to college and um just just really never put the effort into it that i should have i am definitely a proponent of the c's get degrees kind of mentality or d's even in in college actually um but yeah that like i said the uh the partying and the drinking and the smoking and chewing and that all escalated quickly in college you know it turned into or it went from thirsty Thursday, Friday, Saturday, maybe have, you know, some drinks on a Sunday to there's a reason for it every day. Right. You know, so by the, by the end of my time in college, I, you know, drinking and, um, smoking pot was, was a large part of almost daily activity for me. Um, and once that, once you kind of hit that point in my experience, it's, it's pretty hard to, it can be an uphill battle to feel like you got to pull that out of your life because it, it starts to become who you are, right? And it's part of just normal life. Would you have said at that time you would have considered yourself an addict or an alcoholic? Yeah, I absolutely would. Um, you know, looking back on my life, I, I think I have addictive tendencies um, just kind of in my nature. And, and, you know, not to make meeting my wife and loving my wife from high school on a, an addiction. But I think even that is kind of an indicator that I was just 
once I got a hold of something, it was really hard for me to let go, right? And especially if there was any kind of feel, you know, that good feeling that came along with it. And, you know, when I really look back on all of it, I think I was just trying to bury a lot of internal struggles, you know, with the substances and all those things that just give you that kind of immediate feel good. This kind of goes back to my youth a little bit and and just that maybe that sense of thinking I was always good enough, but never proving it. And that kind of turned into uh, a lot of the root of my issues was, um, you know, I was always told I was talented. I always did real well in sports. And like I said, I basically graduated high school and, and a good college without even trying. And that's not to brag by any means. That's like a, a sad reality almost. But I think it just sums up that. You know, I had the ability, but I just never applied it, right? And and what I didn't realize is is subconsciously that became a big struggle for me was being confident in who I was and my ability, but never having a situation where I really proved it, right? So it was always like, well, are you enough? Are, are you really that good? Are you smart? It's like, I think so. I'm pretty sure, you know, but well, show me the evidence. Well, there is none, you know, it's like, I yeah, don't know. it's like you can never validate yourself yeah. for maybe what you knew to be true about right. yourself or what other people were speaking into you yeah. and, and, you know, encouraging you and championing right. you with, right. you just couldn't validate that for yourself. No, absolutely. And, and, you know, a lot of that came from my, my mom and dad so there's there's kind of that bias that comes along with that that you're like okay mom I know I'm great you know like I know I'm so smart right you know it's like you're my mom you have to say that yeah. right so but it wasn't just that right it was teachers and coaches and I, looking back how many times I was sat down by a teacher or a coach or whoever and it's like put some effort into it like you're you're like we see you as a leader here but you're you're just not you're not applying yourself and it's you know and and that defiant me just kind of goes, well, screw you, coach. You know, like, you you can't tell me. Like, if you don't respect me, I'm not going to respect, you know. It was that spiral of that defiant mentality that just kept me down there, right? And like you said earlier, you didn't know how to take constructive criticism. At all. And I and I think, I think a lot of people, generally, I think people struggle with hearing criticisms, right? Right. But for me, it was... It was really hard and not again, not in the sense that like I thought it was true about myself. It was like almost I know this isn't true, so I'm going to be angry about it and lash out about it. Right. Instead of prove it wrong. You know what I'm saying? And again, it just the, the all these these nuances just started to form who I was as a, a young adult. And you you just you really just overlook it until you become fully aware until you wake up. Right. And, uh, there is a, there is a turn to the story here, right? Uh, I, uh, I'm not that man anymore, but you know, that, that definitely sums up, I think where I was as a, as a teenager, as a young adult, right. And, and even as a, 
you know, in my early adulthood and, you know, post-college and stuff like that. Yeah. Well, and, you know, kind of going back to, you know, the, the Jesus part of your story here, you grew up Catholic and now you go off to college. And I think most people know that, uh, especially in today's day and age, uh, a lot of people that grow up in the church, when they go off to college, it can be pretty easy for them to walk away from their faith or yeah. let, you know, the world influence them away from the faith. And so for you, you know, you mentioned earlier, God, you know, here and there, you'd hear his, that still yeah. soft voice mm -hmm. and, and everything. So where were you at with God yeah. during that time? Yeah. I, um, obviously in high school, I went to a Catholic school. So, I mean, we were regular attending church. I was still living at home. My parents were you know, regular church attendees. I would say in college is really where my faith started to evolve. My wife's, she grew up Catholic, Catholic school, Catholic high school. Um, her parents were Catholic, went to Catholic church and all that stuff. Um, but in college, her parents started going to um, an E-free church, like a more spirit-filled church, if you will. And so I started getting exposed to that. Um, we would go you know, here and there on the weekends when we'd come home from school and stuff. And I think that's when my, my faith journey, I think that was the fork in the road for me a little bit with my faith journey was it started to bring God more into my life and make me realize that a relationship with God is more about church on Sunday. It's a daily, all day, every day kind of thing. Right. And it's, and it's not just you internalizing it. It's, how you interact with people and the way you project yourself into the world and, and all that stuff. So, um, like I said, that's, that's when I started getting exposed to different church experiences. And then, uh, when my wife and I graduated college, I got a, I got a great job coming out of college. Um, I ended up buying a, our first house at, at 23. So, you know, really early on was so blessed to be able to do that. Uh, you know, just a proud moment for me too. you know, kind of that just kind of proved myself like, you know, I do have what it takes, but realizing that now looking back, it's like, those are just meaningless attributes kind of, but no, so I was fortunate to do that. Um, and as, as, as I started getting into adult life with my wife, we started to have to find a church. And so we were seeking out different, um, types of churches. Like I said, we were going to an e-free church, uh, for a while. And then we transitioned into the AG church a little later on, but God started coming into my life more late in college and, uh, shortly after college. What helped you to, to kind of start letting God in? You know, I think about what you said earlier is that you would always defy yeah. authority figures and, you know, screw the world type of mentality. And yeah. God is, is the ultimate authority figure. So what was it about him yeah. and that relationship with him that kind of helped you to, to shift that thinking? Yeah. It, you know, I think it was purely, and this is where I, I think the, the change in church experience really it really illuminated it for me, but uh, it was the love and forgiveness of Jesus that I started to understand at a deeper level that really started to penetrate my heart and kind of woke me up to what I was doing and the detriment that it was causing in my life. And then as you realize your life is like 
kind of spiraling out of control and you're going down a really bad path, you really get that feeling of there's no turning back. Like, how do I change? Like, I don't know what to do. Right. And it just seems like this daunting task to stop drinking and just completely change your life. Right. And start being this, I'm going to coin a, a term from a friend, but being a church nerd, right? Like I don't, that's not me, right? Like all my friends party and there's, I'm like, that's who I am. And like, I can't, how am I going to go to the bar if I am a church nerd? Right. And it's like, and that is, I am proud to be a church nerd these days. Amen. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, like I said, at, at that point in my life is when that my heart softened, right. And God, I think started to penetrate it. And I realized there was an out, right? There was, there was a way to not continue on the path that I was avalanching down. And like I said, I think when I, after, after my wife and I graduated and I bought that first house and things, things slid downhill really fast then partially because I had to go into the real world. Right. And I couldn't just hide at college and, had to get jobs and wake up every day and be accountable and um, deal with these authority figures instead of defiant. Oh my gosh. And, and lose a job if you, if you don't, right. There was like serious repercussions to that night, a mortgage to pay and, you know, student loans out my ears and all that stuff. So, I mean, it got serious really, really quick. And I think I was, it was shortly before we got married. Um, but I got a DWI and that in and of itself is just an interesting little story. But, um, but yeah, you think again, you think a situation like that, you, somebody walks away from and they're like, oh, this is the turning point, right? This is rock bottom. That wasn't me, right? It's like press on, right? And not that that didn't really give me a shake, right? And I, man, you go through something like that and for anybody that has, I'm sure they would tell, tell you the same thing, but it's an eye-opening experience, right? I haven't really experienced many other things that make you feel small than going through something like that. Cause it's just like, you just feel so dumb. Right. And, and now, now I'm like this criminal, right. Not that I wasn't probably for the 10 years prior to that. Right. <laughs> but, uh, yeah. So that was actually my second uh, time going to, going to jail. Uh, I forgot to mention that about college, but, uh, but yeah. So, I mean, you think that wakes you up and it did, but not enough. Right. And, um, and then after that, my wife and I got married actually a few months after that, the drinking got really bad actually um after that is when it was like a daily thing starting to do it when people weren't watching and people weren't around and hiding it from my wife and the smoking pot was it was kind of just i'd mix the two of if i can't drink tonight i'm gonna get high right or you know vice versa right like you, i just kind of and the, the DWI kind of made me hold off on the drinking. So then I just picked up smoking a little bit more. And again, even though at that point my, my heart was softening and God was definitely doing everything he could to penetrate into me, that defiance just was like rooted, right? It was just that hard rut. Yeah. What do you think it was at that time that caused the, the drinking, the smoking to get worse? Because again, looking at it from an outside perspective, you graduate college with a degree, a college that you really shouldn't have ever got into, <laughs> yeah. but you did and you right. graduated. You you said you got this pretty good gig coming out of college, yeah. you know, making, I would imagine, decent money. Yeah. You yep. buy a house, 
you get married to your high school sweetheart. Right. Like those are like four things that like everyone kind of desires at that right. time of your life. So why sabotage that with drinking and smoking? Just the lack of fulfillment, right? And I think what it boils down to is the lack of God in, in my life. Is, yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know, I don't have to explain that to you, right? I mean, you you know, right? I mean, the only thing that brings true fulfillment and happiness and joy and peace in your life is God, right? Amen. It, it, you can search the world for all the, the flesh desire, you know, all of that stuff, and none of it's going to bring value. But that was that was part of the issue was I'm checking all these boxes, right? Like bought a house at a super young age, right? No, no, nobody else. All of my friends graduated from good schools, went to had good jobs, but you know, like that was an achievement, right? And it just it never gave me that fulfillment, right? And having this good job, I had a really good job at a really great company making good enough money to buy a house at 23, right? So, but none of it, 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 it was never good enough, right? It was never enough. And I started to feel that in my heart, right? And that's what I think, instead of pressing into God, because I just wasn't there yet, I picked drugs and alcohol, you know, and just tried to mask it and just hide it, right? And just, if I was half in the bag, I couldn't, couldn't think about it, right? Yeah. And, and uh and that's actually not true at all, which is also kind of funny, but um, well, and not that's funny. Some, but. That's something that we've talked in the past about, too, is just your your history of I'm just not going to allow myself to feel what I'm feeling. Yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm going to avoid it. I'm going right. to mask it. I'm going to disguise it. Right. And I mean, I, I tell my clients this all the time that that never ends well. No. You know, God gave us emotions for a reason. Right. We're supposed to feel them. Yeah. He felt them all. And so, yeah. yeah. No, and I, oh man, I, I got, you know, obviously a couple more parts of the story here that, that reiterate that point, um, kind of continuing on on the story. So, you know, was in our first house, was married, um, started to try and have kids and, you know, just the lifestyle I was living and kind of the lack of regard for financing or finances and all that kind of stuff just was pushing us down this, this this road, this bad road. Right. But anyway, so we, you know, logical next step, I already got the house. I already got a great wife, right? Like, let's have a kid. Let's get dogs. Let's do all this, you know? Right. So we got a couple dogs, uh, went to try to have our first kid and found out that that's not as easy as just being intimate one time. Right. And, uh, you know, struggled for almost a year trying to get pregnant. And again, you know, we're thinking, Oh, we're healthy and you know what why not what's going on, right? And I think it's hard to say exactly why, right? Um because we haven't investigated it super heavily from a medical standpoint, but um I think it was purely God knew I wasn't ready and I was not being obedient and um just the 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 unhealthy nature of the substance abuse for me, I think was the problem, or at least that's what I chalk it up to. I'm going to keep that just to motivate me moving forward. But then there's the, the relationship dynamic, the challenges that come along with struggling with getting pregnant. Right. And you, you know, a lot of people that have been there and done that too. Right. I mean, that, that can crush 
a, a relationship. Oh yeah. You know? So we just grinded it out. We battled through actually ended up kind of having this like miracle experience, um, as we were going to church and really, you know, these kind of things started getting us to seek God more. Right. Cause it was just, like I said, I was, I was trying to fill the void with everything I could and just wasn't happening. And so that, you know, just kept nudging us down that path to Christ. So again, we were, we were slowly bringing God into our life more and making church a priority and again, kind of moving along the story. So we ended up having to sell that first house. So I had a bunch of student loans. Alyssa had a bunch of student loans. You know, I was making decent money, right? Um, and Alyssa was kind of figuring out career path at that point. But basically the, the first house we bought was a foreclosure. It was in this 2008, 9, 10, 10 11, like, you know, foreclosures everywhere. Yeah, right after the crash. Yeah. So bought like a pretty dumpy foreclosure, but ended up basically flipping the house, if you will. And... um we had a lot of equity in it. So because we were kind of experiencing some financial difficulties, the logical step was, well, let's just sell the house and pay off some debt and buy another house. Right. And to, you know, with, with the intent of children coming and stuff, this house didn't seem like it was enough for us. Right. Like it, like it all, it never is. Right. Um, but so we ended up selling the house, like I said, made, made some good money and, you know, again, all these things that you think like just give you value and reward and and fulfillment, but it just didn't, right? Because I knew, I, I saw below the surface, right? If if you looked at our life just from the outside, you're like, oh man, that, that living the American dream, hundred percent. You know, two dogs, son on the way. You know, college educated. You know, buying houses. It's like, yeah, that's the dream, right? but we were far from living it and but yeah so we sold our house ended up buying another house um which we got a good deal on and needed some work and i wasn't afraid of that and wanted to build some equity and all this kind of stuff and had tr transition jobs um twice i guess now at this point um but again working in corporate america and all that but again the drinking for me at that point that's when it was it's now a daily thing and hiding it and again you think life's going great for us if you look at it from the outside but in all reality it's the complete opposite right and and god bless my wife because she stayed with me and battled through it and even though i was the anchor pulling the ship down that's what it was i was i was sinking and sinking fast but i all at the same time you know the the our faith was growing just incrementally and slowly and um, pressing into into church more and stuff like that and long and the short is when i i was working at a, a company at that time and had a really toxic work environment um you know again just not feeling fulfilled and i had worked in corporate america for you know five six years at that point and just didn't feel like that was doing it for me so i started thinking about that really really heavily and Ended up uh, just kind of on a whim quitting my job and going to work for Alyssa's dad. And it's that is definitely a key part of my journey. But um, that kind of brought a pretty big pay cut doing that with the assumption that 
I'm going to help grow this business and all this stuff. And, um, so the financial struggles got worse. And so we, we were living in a, in a situation where it just was spiraling out of control. And like I said, we were, the weird part is, is the, the more we were spiraling, the more we started to press into the church. I guess that's not weird at all. Yeah, but, that's what you should be doing. Yeah, exactly. But, but so it was kind of this, you know, life's getting worse relationship with Christ is getting better. And we ended up really diving into the church and getting into some life groups. And I worked for my father-in-law for a couple of years and we were in a really bad financial spot, like missing bills and, and stuff like that. And, and so I'm like, I gotta, I gotta get back to corporate America, right? I gotta go chase some money and, and solve this problem. So I ended up getting a really good job again at a corporation and Right when I started that job, uh, actually, the so I started on a Monday, and on Friday that week is when I actually had my last drink. So I stopped drinking, basically because uh, it had gotten to a point where Alyssa had discovered my secret stashes of booze a few times, and um, it was very obvious that I was hammered drunk like every night, right? I mean, I was... We had our, our first kid at that point, Brecken, and, you know, I'd put him to bed at 8 o'clock and lay down with him and basically just pass out in his bed, and Lissa would come in and try and wake me up, and I'd just, you know, it's like immovable, right? I'm just like purely passed out, right? And with a two-year-old, just kind of some scary stuff when you, when I look back on it, but, and again, just wake up, dude, you know, and it's... I was, I was going to say, I mean, was that another moment where, I mean, you talked about the struggles to get pregnant. You do. You have a son. Yeah. Was that maybe another kind of like wake-up call from God saying, okay, Ben, let's, let's get this, this going. I gave this to you. Right. Like, step up, bud. And no, it absolutely was. I mean, like I said, it, I think God was just proving himself in so many ways in that part of my life. Just even the, the fact that we got pregnant in and of itself, I think was again, just eye opening, but because of my history, right. I just, it, ne I never let it sink in. Right. And it was just that I'm on my own. I'm doing this on my own. That just kind of like just that defiance and, and whatever just was still kind of there. Right. And, and I don't, don't get me wrong. I, I believed in the miracle. And at that point, I mean, God was like, I'm putting them first. Right. And that's what actually drove me to just quit drinking. Cause I, I don't think I, I know for a fact that there's no way I could have done it and done it actually just cold Turkey without God, like absolutely zero Amen. chance. You know, it was only, you know, I got to a point where you just, you can't hide it anymore. My, uh, like I said, Alyssa just, it was blatantly obvious and, and she ended up getting my parents involved. So the first day I started at this corporate job, the Sunday night got hammered, right? Just, day-to-day -day life right you know and uh woke up the next day and Alyssa still we've talked about it a few times just like how scary it was to see me going to work you know when you're thinking you got this great new job so excited jumping in and I wake up and I'm just a pile of trash right and putting lipstick on a pig to get to this job and so she brings that up not to like bring shame into my life and make me feel bad but just as a reminder you know like just how fake and how uh, empty that life was. Anyway, so come that Friday, 
Alyssa had got my parents involved and they came, they were living up here in uh, cold spring and they came down to spend the weekend with us and keep an eye on me and, and, uh, basically kind of an intervention if you will. But at that point I was just ready. You know, I just knew I like so much was just crumbling and life was just, it, it was like I was running against a brick wall every day and it was like, so I can't do this anymore. Right. So my heart was there and God was there and, and it was hard, you know, like I said, I mean, all my friends, everything about my life, my even, you know, family and stuff like that. Life is just about kind of just drinking, right? Like family get togethers and friend get togethers and there's always beer and booze and, you know, that's just part of life. So it was so hard to be like, what's life going to be like? How can I be me without it? Yeah. You know, but that's where God comes in, right? Yeah. Well, and, and yeah, like you said, without him, you could have never quit cold turkey like you did. But no. beyond that, did you get any other type of help? Yeah. Yeah. So I, um, at that point, my, my family encouraged me to go seek help. Um, so I actually went and met with, uh, I don't even know what you would call it, but basically somebody to assess whether you need treatment or not. Oh yeah. An alcohol and drug counselor. Yeah, basically. Um, so I met with this individual a couple times and, and this was, I think part of what allowed me to continue to quit cold Turkey, if you will, was just the amount of shame that I saw coming along with treatment and the fear of stepping out of my life and having to do that. And, and there is nothing wrong with that. And there, I mean, God bless the people that are in that space because everybody's different. Right. And, and a lot of people need that, but that was almost a motivator for me to figure it out on my own. Um, so I did, I did go to some counseling and, and things like that and decided not to admit myself to treatment, but my wife was holding me heavily accountable. Right. So I ended up, I did end up, um, participating in a number of like AA meetings, and got involved in that um, through the church we were going to at the time. They had like a freedom group, you know, things like that. So I was getting involved in a lot of, you know, overcoming substance type activities. Uh, and then separate to that, my wife and I were going to marital counseling, if you will, which was beneficial. Absolutely. But yeah, so I was I was definitely pursuing things that helped catalyze that change from, you know, alcoholism to sobriety but yeah so getting back to kind of the the broader story uh i'd started this new job quit drinking and i was still chewing and actually when i quit drinking in, in full disclosure i was still kind of smoking pot a little bit and i think that also helped with the transition which sounds terrible but it kind of gave me something a little bit to fall back on. And for me, it was a little, it seemed like I felt like I could still dabble in that and, and pro progress away from the substance issues. But as I became more self-aware and woke up to myself, I realized you're trading an apple for an orange here, right? I mean, it's all the same thing. So over the course of this nine month period when I started this new job and I had quit drinking, I, I did quit smoking. Um, again, it was kind of just this cold Turkey. And, and, uh, when I was at this new job, 
I remember this one time, like it was yesterday. I would, a lot of times I would, it was summer, spring, summer, fall when I had started this job and I'd go at lunchtime, I'd drive my truck to this, this kind of nature spot real close to the corporate office that I was at. And I'd just have lunch and, you know, I'd pray and reflect and walk this path along the Minnesota river and stuff like that. And sometimes I'd dabble on a little things I shouldn't be doing. But I remember vividly at one point sitting there with like a jar of marijuana and, and God was audibly speaking to me and all I could hear was throw it, throw it, just get rid of it just right now. And then I had a visual in my mind of standing up and God kicking the back of my knees out and me falling to my knees and uh and i just didn't want to do it you know i just couldn't let go and i didn't throw it but the days after that are when when i really when i really woke up to it and i was like this it's got to stop right and I felt so good about getting drinking out of my life, but it completely negated it by continuing to smoke, right? And to use other substances. So there was this, it was this weird conundrum of feeling great about it. But at the same time, I knew, because I was the only one that knew, I'm a fraud, right? Like this, I'm not, you know, everybody's like, oh, you're doing great. Stay sober. And the whole time I'm like, I'm not sober, you know, like, but ever since I had that vision, I still have it today of just the, the knees coming out and getting on my knees. And it's just such a powerful feeling. And it's like, it's, it's that whole, you know, wake up, God's here. And he's like, he has so much for you, so much for you. If you just let go of yourself, yeah, you just give up, you know, just stop, stop trying to do it on your own. Man, it goes to show the grip that you know, basically sin can yeah. have on someone's life, right? Whatever you want to call it, addiction, bondage, it's, it's sin. Yeah. And, you know, to have a visual and, and to, to hear God's voice like that and to still like have, have to wrestle with yeah. like, should I, or should I not? I mean, right. it just goes to show how powerful yeah. this garbage is. Oh my gosh. Yeah. And that same mentality because I have that perspective um, and, and actually this book, the book of waking up, kind of talks a lot about this of the idolization of things in your life right and yep. and it and this book of waking up is is kind of about it's primarily about addiction and overcoming addiction but what it really i think illuminated in my mind and why it was so powerful for me was it talks about the breadth of quote unquote addiction and what i like to attribute it more to now that I'm deep in God's word is that idolization, right? And yeah. God talks about idols and not having idols. And, you know, the first commandment is love your God and, and you know, no other gods and all that kind of stuff. And, and what that book, I think the power that that book had for me was it made me realize that if you're leveraging anything above God to bring meaning and value and relief to your life that's an idol yeah right and it's not just the taboo drugs and alcohol or pornography and that's a whole nother deal too but you know it can be 
food or it can be exercise, right? I mean, something that's so seemingly good for you, you can, it can start to become detrimental, right? If it's like, I wake up every day and I have to be at the gym or, you know, I can't live my life normal, like that's idolization right there and manifesting. Yeah. Right? Can be anything. I mean, and literally anything. These are even some more common things, right? But I mean, it can be anything. And that's what that book really made me realize is, yeah, the alcohol and the drugs, those are just like super, like those are the taboos, right? But addiction and idolization can manifest itself. I mean, the devil uses everything he can, right? And it can even be, you know, you can't see me air quote, but air quote, it can be good stuff. So yeah, as I'm, as I'm going through this transition of going into sobriety, God is just screaming at me and life's still kind of falling apart. So, uh, so this good job that I got as I'm quitting all this stuff and pressing into my relationship with God and getting into church more and reading God's word daily, I'm starting to fast and, and pray regularly and all this stuff. I end up uh, losing this job. I got fired. And uh, the reason I got fired is because I was uh, defiant and I was insubordinate. And I didn't want to hear from my boss who I thought didn't know anything what to do. And I just thought I I had it all figured out, right? So this, this defiant mentality just con- continued to be an issue for me. And what the sobriety brought was the realization of that being a big problem for me. And there was a lot behind why I was that, right? So it took a lot of unpacking, but really what it took was waking up, right? And and becoming self-aware to how much of a problem I was to my own life. Yeah. <laughs> Which, like we talked about, it's it's really hard to look at yourself and go, I'm the problem. Especially when you... you I don't drink anymore. I'm, I quit smoking. I quit chewing. Like I'm, I'm just like all in for Christ. Right. And it's like, you just picture life to just poof, go, you know, into the, you can just walk into the garden of Eden and life is just beautiful. Right? right. Not the case. And this is three years ago and every day I wake up, I still got to commit to it. Right. And it's still temptation follows me around. Right. So the surrender is a daily thing. And yeah, actually I have this, uh, my mom actually, a couple years ago during Lent gave me this little daily prayer book. She gave a bunch of them to all of my siblings and uh, my wife and stuff. And there was one page that had this uh, scripture from Luke. That's Luke nine twenty three and 24. Um, and it basically is, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. Whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. And I still have that that piece of paper, it's, I, I was using it as a Bible, um, placeholder, but it's now in a a book that I'm reading, but you can never remind yourself of that too much, right? Amen. Every single day, no matter who you are, no matter how far on your journey you are, no matter what you gave your life to Christ 10 years ago, 20 years ago, 30 years ago, sobriety for 30 years, but you can wake up every single day and that devil is going to find a way and wait for that perfect opportunity to jump in. Right. And, and you got to renew that commitment every day. Right. So kind of getting back, I'm trying to get to the end of the story here. Uh, but, um, so getting back to it. So I lost that job. So I got fired. And at, at that point, 
we were still having some really hard financial times and that nine months of that job didn't solve that. And so we ended up having to sell our house again because we were just in a really bad spot and we were, like I said, missing mortgage payments and stuff. And it was, it was really hard. And then to lose a job, I mean, it's like the world is ending. Right. And, um, and actually a very important point I forgot to make was we, we had a second child. Um, basically I lost my job in November of 19 in September of 19, we had our second child, which again was an almost a year long deal, similar struggles to the first child. December of 2018, we went to a a service at our church and it talked about miracles and stuff like that. And you know how you got to ask for them. Right. And God wants to do them if that's his will. And, um, but you got to ask, right. And you got to be obedient. And, And it's funny coming out of that service. I think, I think within a day or two, my wife found out she was pregnant. Wow. Yeah. So just crazy stuff. Not crazy when you know God, but I say that because at this time that I'm just, our life is falling apart financially. We've got two kids, you know, both under, you know, a couple of years old and just the time in your life when you need some kind of stability, you know, things are still hitting the fan and looking back, it's, it's interesting. But at the time I'm like, why God I'm sober now. Like, you know, I, I quit drinking. I quit the smoking. Like what I'm doing it. I'm going to church. I'm pressing in. I'm praying. I'm reading the Bible and all this stuff is still happening. And it's like, looking back, I'm like, yeah, God's like, he's still going to wake up, dude. You know? <laughs> and it's like, I am so proud of you and I'm right here with you, but you got a long way to go. You know, and it's, it's just interesting looking back on it. But so, so we ended up having to sell our house and we moved into, uh, my wife's grandpa's basement. He's got a town or well, he's passed away now, but had a town home, a rather, uh, small living space, right? He, uh, him and Alyssa's uncle, or Alyssa's grandpa and Alyssa's uncle lived together in this town home and they had a dog and we had two dogs, two kids. And so, they had an unfinished basement in this town home and we didn't have the money to go rent or whatever. And so I ended, and I didn't have a job. So I ended up finishing this basement and we moved in down there. And honestly, as, oh my gosh, as important of a step as that was in, in the story of me, that was miserable. I mean, you talk about just degrading times for me, unemployed, just got fired, you know, living in the basement of my wife's grandpa's town home, you know, and this basement is like, there's like one window, right? It's like a dungeon, right? It feels like we're moving into some prison, right? And there wasn't a bedroom down there. We got our bed and a couch and a TV all in one living space. There was a bathroom, which was great, but like you got an infant, you got a two-year-old, you got two dogs and we're trying to live in this basement. And I, st- I mean, I'll never forget these times, but you know, we have to go to bed at seven 30 or at least sit on the couch dead silent because the kid, you know, you, the kids have to sleep and there's nowhere to go. And it's yeah. like, and it's the dead of winter. It's January, February time. And it's like, you can't go outside and sit on the patio, you know? So what, what would be miserable times? I was at a point where I saw 
I saw God's grace in that situation, you know, through her grandpa letting us go there, being so gracious to let that happen. I mean, he was 85 years, 86 years old. It's like he doesn't want five people and a dog and two dogs moving into his house. And I mean, it was just mayhem at times. But, you know, I was able to start seeing the good in challenge, right? And I started to realize that God brings challenge into people's lives that he know can handle it and that he has the greatest purpose for, right? And um, and I've seen it not just in my life, but in others too, you know? And again, most people struggle to wake up to the the realization of that. And what they do is they fixate on those struggles, right? And it's like, why me? Like, I'm going to church. Like, I'm doing all these things. Like, all like I'm doing all these things right. Why is this happening? What I've come to realize is that instead of looking at, at that and going, why God? You go, what God, right? Like, mm, that's good. What are you trying to get? What are you saying to me, right? Like, how can I be more self-aware of what you're trying to teach me here, right? Or where this, what this step in the journey is setting me up for. And that can be really, really hard, especially when you're going through really hard times, right? Anyway, so we we're living in the basement and we're thinking, I mean, everything's on the table. We're talking, where do we move out of state? You know, how, how do we just, and again, I was, you know, newly sober and I guess I can kind of say that about that time because I had stopped smoking and drinking and chewing. So I was actually truly sober. But, man, I at that time, I um, I would basically wake up, bring my kids to daycare, and my wife would go to work. And I would go to this coffee shop and basically sit there for hours. And usually I'd spend an hour or two first reading my Bible and then would look for jobs and apply for jobs and, you know, try and figure out the next step. And so Alyssa and I got to a point where we decided let's look outside the city. Let's move, right? Let's, let's relocate. And my parents had moved up to Cold Spring area here to the cabin. Um, cause my grandpa had passed away and they took ownership of it and, and sold their place in the cities and, and ended up moving up there. But, and you know, I, Alyssa had been up there cause we had known each other for a long time and she had been up there. And so there was kind of like some comfort in this area and it seemed like kind of maybe a a natural place to migrate to if you will so basically we as a you know well, more me than her but uh <laughs> i was bullheaded and just felt the call to come up this way so i started looking for jobs up here you know in st cloud and and stuff like that and within i want to say a day or two of making that decision to move this way, I came across a job, applied for it. And within 45 minutes of applying for this job, I got a phone call from HR and it's like, Hey, you know, thanks for applying. We, you know, we think you, you know, there's some potential here, you know, could you come in for an interview? And it's like, first of all, that in and of itself is, I don't know, you know, for anybody that's applied for jobs, I mean, usually you don't get calls back anytime soon. Right. And if you do, it's, it's quite the process. Right. And actually the last job I had, it was, God, I had six interviews. It was over the course of, you know, I don't know, four months and stuff. And this was, you know, three weeks after I even got a call back. Right. So, so I got this call and I'm like, this feels meant to be right. 
Next day, I drive up to St. Cloud for an interview. And the following morning, I got a call from the hiring manager and got offered the job. And it's just like, yeah, this, this feels right. Like, praise God, like, let's go. And so, you know, me and Alyssa are talking about it and we decide like, yep, this, let's do it. Right. And so she's got a a job down in the cities and she decides to put her notice in, you know, thinking she'd have to figure something else out. And she puts her two week notice in and her boss is like, you know what, would you be interested in working from home and just keeping the job? And it's like, okay, praise God. Right. (laughs) Like this doesn't happen. And this is like, two months before COVID hit. So it wasn't like this, you know, working from home was like a, it was almost taboo at that point. Yeah. You know? So again, it just felt like it was just meant to be. And so we're like, all right, let's go. And we start looking for places to rent because we couldn't manage to buy a place at that point. And uh, through our initial searches and stuff, we just found it really hard to find a, a good place to rent, especially with kids and dogs and stuff like that. So we were, you know, having some fears and some doubts like, oh boy, we we might have to move in with my parents or something. And Alyssa's like, yeah, no, I'd live, you know, under a, a bridge. I'd live anywhere outside of your parents. And this is coming out of the grandpa's basement, right? So yep. it's like you're hyper conscious of your living situation. But uh, weirdly, one one night we're sitting in her grandpa's basement in the dark at, you know, eight o'clock because the kids are in bed and she gets a text from uh, my sister-in-law, my brother's wife. She just knew our situation and she must have been out looking for just cruising the Internet or whatever. So she sends my wife this text with this rental. And I, I can't remember if it was that night. I think that night Alyssa sent a message or whatever to the person that posted this and and they ended up texting back and forth or whatever about us being interested and again i was unemployed so i drove up there next day and went to go look at it and talk to him and stuff and and he's like and we're you know i went and looked at it and it's single family home and it's like wow this sounds magical compared to what we're in so and we don't have to go into an apartment and all this stuff and dogs are okay and the rent was super reasonable so commit to it and and the weird part is is this guy you know usually requires you to an application process right and he wants to know your employment and all that kind of stuff and i didn't have this new job yet right and he's like you know when i went and met with him he's like oh yeah there's like 10 other people that i'm gonna if you know if you're not interested i'm you know three other people are lined up for later or whatever you know so it's just all this like anxiety long and the short is like i'm i'm talking to this guy and i'm telling him where i got this job and and he's like, oh, oh, I know, you know, blah, 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 blah. And he's like, oh, that it sounds like you, you know, you guys got it all figured out. Like, don't worry about it. You just, you know, we'll sign the contract and you put the d- deposit down and we'll call it a day. Right. So it's just like, okay, praise God. Right. Like what? Okay. So, you know, three weeks after that, we end up packing up and moving up to Cold Spring and, and I start my job and all this stuff and get kids into get daycare and the daycare we got them in is just the kids loved it and all this stuff and just felt like so right. Then two months into it, I get fired from the job that I got again. The, uh, the defiance was manifesting and I, uh, and not that I was wow. After being, after that first firing, I'm like, it's you, you got to figure this out. Right. 
And, uh, but I go into this job just like more excited and just ambitious than I've ever been in my life and almost too much. And this company that I went to work for was kind of like stay in your lane, like don't get too many ideas here. Right. Kind of thing. And generally I'm, I'm, that is, I'm a very visionary kind of ideas and change and ambiguity and all that stuff is just, I thrive in that. Right. So I go into want, you know, wanting to change the world and thinking I'm bringing all this value. And, and weirdly, I, yeah, I, I basically went to this training event kind of thing and wasn't necessarily supposed to, and got fired shortly after that for, again, just kind of not listening. <laughs> And it, boy, was that, um, doesn't get much harder than that Yeah. to walk home from that. Oh my God. I was sobbing my whole way home to go tell my wife that I got fired it was one of the hardest things I've ever done. And, you know, God was such a part of our life at that point that it's just like, all right, this sucks, but you knew we wouldn't come here unless there was some financial stability or seemingly right. And you got us here. I'm an idiot and I should, I probably could have avoided that, but long and the short is that it felt like I took that job just out of pure desperation. Right. And I, you know, I, looking back, I don't think that situation was the best for me. And I don't think I'd probably be there now, even if I did still or held that job, nonetheless, immensely challenging to go through that. Yeah. And just as a man and a, I mean, all the things, but I'm like in a great place with, with my walk with Christ. And I'm just, I'm pressing in and I'm like, I'm trusting you, God. And again, the financial struggles are still following us. And, you know, it got to the point where it was like, I'm unemployed again. And, you know, it's like, how do we pay the bills? And, and just weirdly, we'd get like checks in the mail from like, we got like an $800 check in the mail from like a back payment or something from insurance from our previous house. Just like, you know, five months later, just randomly, you know, God's provision. Yeah. It's just like, again, I say just crazy, but not at all. You yeah. know, not knowing it's God. normal to God. No, exactly. And he's like, yep. Uh, right here, right now. And oh no, one more week. Yep. Right here, right now. There it you is. Know? Yep. It's like, man, but just, uh, I get chills still thinking about those things. Cause it's like, just when you think it's over. It's not, mm-hmm. you know, here's it's never little, over with God. No, here's a little shot in the arm, you know? And again, all this time I'm like, it's this, this theme of waking up. Right. And I'm just like, I'm starting to look at these situations with just this sober mind and just this, vi- like this lens of God. And it's like the old me would be just in destruction mode, you know, but the new me, it's like, yeah, this is, this is not how I would picture it to go, but when I pictured it to go a certain way and it was going a certain way in my life, it went downhill quick. So mm-hmm. I'm going to kind of just put my thoughts on how life needs to go aside here. Yeah, that's know? a good point. Yeah. And and that that's, I think, you know, again, just kind of the, the attentiveness to God and the, that waking up and that realization that daily wake up every day and put lay your cross down or lay it down at the cross and, and just commit your life to God. It, it's got to be every day, mm-hmm. you know, because even when you think things are going good, you lose a job and God's right there just waiting, you know, like, yep, this, I know this might sound really crazy and this is all not how you think it needs to be, but it is. But again, getting back to the story. So 
I was still feeling pressure from my wife and my my parents and stuff to pursue a professional career. It's like you got a college degree. That's why you went to college. Apply, just get back on the horse. This is terrible, but just apply for it. Just get out there. You just did this. It sucks, but go get another job. You know. So I did, and um, kind of at at during these times, you know, I'm thinking about everything, right? The meaning of life, what I want in life, what's my calling, what do I do? Is corporate America not where I'm supposed to be? It sure feels like it. I just got fired twice in like six months. So, you know, everything's off the table, but again, just kind of the pressures financially and, and all that just pushed me down to apply for another job. So applying for jobs, Ended up getting a call about a job in St. Cloud, another, you know, pretty, pretty good job. Ended up taking the job and again, went into it just with a renewed spirit, just ambition and, and, you know, just a different mentality. I was at that job for about three months and got fired, (laughs) which, you know, again, it was like almost at that point, it's like, I'm just looking up going, can you just help me understand where to go from here. Cause again, I, I mean, I didn't really care about losing the job and anything like that. Cause I was just, my armor was on and I was resilient at that point. But the drive home from that to go tell my wife, I lost another job. There is absolutely nothing more degrading than that. Yeah. I mean, the sad reality of being a man and, and the kind of the culture of it, wanting to be the breadwinner and, make all this money and, you know, be this thing you think you need to be like, so all of that, just again, just that drive home to go tell my wife I got fired again was like, actually I didn't drive home. I ended up driving to this spot here out in the country and just parked my truck. And I'm like literally on my knees, just waiting for some kind of insight into what, what's why, you know, not, not the, why did you do this? But like, I can't handle this anymore. I thought I learned all the things I needed to learn here. Do you like, do I really need to continue to do this? And, you know, a year two or a year, yeah, two years, I guess. Now, after the fact, I look back and I go, no, you didn't, you haven't learned anything, right? <laughs> like you're only a year past this sobriety thing. And I still have so far to go. Um, you know, you, you, as you hear my story, there's so many milestones and, monumental events that have occurred and so many wins that I feel like I've had. But again, you know, looking back, I haven't won anything. Right. And the journey is a lifelong thing. And it's hard to see through the tree in the forest or the forest through the tree. I don't know what that saying is, but yeah. (laughs) Uh, But you know, when you're in it, when you're in that, that, when you're living in day-to-day life, it's, it's oftentimes hard to look back and strategically look at your life and go, why are these things happening and whatever. But, you know, I'm in this, I'm sitting in this, uh, at this piece of public land, looking out on the landscape and just, just diving in and just pressing in and just asking God for vision and all this stuff and end up going home and telling my wife about what happened. And I mean, bless her soul. She, uh, it almost didn't even phase her, you know, not that you get numb to that stuff, but I think just where we were at in our faith journey, it was just kind of like, yeah, 
I guess not surprising. Just another step in the journey, right? Which it, it, it certainly was. And it, and that, that was at a point. So I was at a point then that, that you really start looking outside the box. So, you know, corporate America didn't feel like the right fit. Um, and I, I did too, uh, forget to mention that when we moved up here, we, we ended up getting involved in river of life and that's where you and I met and stuff. And, uh, boy, have we met just some amazing people and families and created some great friendships and stuff through river of life now. And, and just brought Christ centered people into our lives. And so, you know, when you, when you start to do that and you start to bring God in and put God first and, and bring everything in your life just to kind of revolve around that, you can take these punches and turn the other cheek, right? Yeah. The I mean, power of community. Yeah. And it's like, what's next, right? Like that wasn't that hard, right? Like devil, you can't hit me. Like that's all you got, dude. You know, it's like God is with me, but yeah, so we're pressing in and, and you know, I'm now I'm looking at everything and start, I started to pursue uh, a business that I had for many years had kind of laid on my heart to, to, to do. And I actually tried doing it a little bit uh, early on after college, but it fizzled out or whatever. And um, so I st started a business. I'm just kind of working with people around here and doing odd jobs, if you will. Um, just trying to make, you know, ends meet basically and pay the bills. And um, I joined the fire department, uh, which was, primarily to help me focus on living a selfless life, right? And just giving back and, you know, leveraging the abilities and, and stuff that God gave me to do good. And so, you know, life was just changing so much that, you know, not, not that life isn't still challenging with God in it, but it's you you understand that there's meaning in the challenge and uh, you're much better equipped to deal with it when God's at the middle of it. So, yeah. yeah. And, and, uh, you know, got into life groups. That's how we met, um, have led a, a couple life groups, have been in a bunch of life groups. So just built this community around us. And it's just been unreal to, to see where God's taking our lives and, uh, what he's doing in our lives, despite everything that I've done in the past. And, you know, it's just like, especially when I look back at, at the time when, right before I quit drinking and stuff. It's just to think about three years from then was almost impossible, right? It's like, I don't know how I'm going to be a different person because I can't be. But now I'm like, yeah, God, yeah, like praise God. You know, that's what you need, right? Yeah. That's the catalyst, and that's what was missing. And um, But, yeah, we've had a, a third child now, and that was not an easy one either. But um, But God's got a plan, and... We've since um, actually taken ownership of the house we were renting. Weirdly, the guy that was renting it was trying to get out of the rental business, and he was actually uh, going to start getting into home building. Um, and he's working with uh, a couple from church here to to get into that. And um, I've since actually helped this couple with some marketing stuff. So it's been it's been an interesting uh, journey to find the relationships and how we're all intertwined there. But, but we ended up buying the house that we're in. Didn't have to put any money down. Didn't 
you know, didn't have to move, didn't have to do anything. We just kind of signed some paperwork and again, just praise God. Like what, you know? Well, yeah. And what a huge blessing, you know, you go from having to sell a couple houses in the cities due to financial reasons to living with your wife's grandpa (laughs) in their basement. And now, you know, go up here with the rental home and and now to actually sign a contract saying that we're going to take ownership of this home. That's a, that's a huge blessing. No, it is. Absolutely. And again, I mean, you know, um, I've realized that owning a house isn't what brings meaning to life, but it sure gives you that sense of not only accomplishment, because actually my wife, because of my, my self-employment status, I wasn't really able to help attribute to that the financial aspect of taking ownership of the house. So I say that because it was, it was a miracle, not a miracle, but it was a work of God to make that happen because my wife didn't think at all that she was enough or that her job was enough or that she could do that. Cause basically I had bought in the two houses before that with the corporate job money and stuff like that. And again, not to discredit my wife, cause she's always had a, a job and works hard and, um, brings a lot of value to the table from that perspective. Um, but it was just so amazing to watch God work in her to allow for that. But yeah. And then, you know, as of late, I, uh, I, I've had some, some health issues some really serious ones. Apparently I ended up, uh, I wasn't feeling great and ended up going to the, the clinic or whatever, just to get checked out. And according to the, uh, woman that I saw at the clinic, my hemoglobin levels were like, you should be dead low. So I ended up getting taken into the, the ER and spent the weekend in the hospital and got some blood transfusions and had some surgery and stuff like that. And you know, again, for most people, that is just like the, that's, that's a really hard thing to experience, but really, really weirdly for me and just where I'm at and God being so present in my life, it just, it just seemed like a little walk in the park. Like I never had any doubt that, I mean, all these nurses and doctors are like, oh, so we hear you were at, you know, your hemoglobin was at a four. It's like, you know, that's like dead, right? It's like, no, I don't, but uh, I've been told that, right? And it's like, uh, I knew I felt crummy, but I didn't. It's still hard to believe that my life was at risk. Yeah. Just because I, again, I just like, the whole time I knew something was wrong. Because, I mean, when you're at that point, you just, I mean, you can kind of feel it. But after going through everything I've gone through, it was just like, I know you're not going to let me die. Like I've got too much more to learn and you've apparently got too much in store for me that I am still kind of unaware of, but it just, I was like, this is, it was almost just annoying. You know, it's like, <laughs> I, I got to spend three days in the hospital. Like I just want to be home, like helping with the kids and all that stuff. But yeah, it's like, I know I'm going to be fine. Just it, get me out of here. Right. Yeah. And again, not to discredit it or anything. Cause I mean, praise God for me still being here, but you know, you just, Gosh, you look at life unbelievably differently when Jesus isn't and God is at the center of it, you know. And then, yeah, I, I uh, planning to get baptized here in a couple of weeks or maybe three weeks. Uh, my wife's going to do it with me. And uh, wow, that's awesome. <laughs> yeah, and I mean, you know, because of because of the fact that I've 
well, I grew up Catholic, right? So I was baptized at, you know, whatever. And because I grew up with in a faith-based home and have for years now really given my life to Christ, um, it seems like I almost like that wasn't necessarily a step I needed to hit, right? For a lot of people, baptism is like something major happened. I'm giving my life to Christ today, baptized, new life, right? And I feel like I kind of missed that train. Um, so I always just kind of wrote it off. But uh, a friend of mine, I guess, strongly encouraged me to uh, to pursue that. Um, just because, again, I'm, I'm still at a point where I, I don't feel like I'm fulfilling the call. And I'm very much awake and aware of God's how he's working in my life and the journey and, and all that. But I still feel like I'm in that learning transition kind of growth phase. And, and it's hard for somebody like me, at least that I just want to give it my all. Right. I just want to like put a hundred percent into something and just feel fulfilled and, you know, and not that I don't, and I'm blessed to be in the situation I am for so many reasons, but, but that's kind of what drove me to this baptism thing is like, I just want to, I, I'm trying to take it all off the table, right? Like I am going to check every box that I possibly can to make that conduit from God to me, just, you know, go from a hundred megabytes to a hundred gigabytes, right? Like I just want to direct all of it, you yep. know? And, uh, I'm trying to be self-aware of the fact that you can't just, you know, there's there's value in in a baptism, right? In a in an outward expression of you know committing your life to Christ, and and I kind of skipped that. So and yeah, again with the kind of the health stuff, it's just like, what more can I do? Where I'm at is I just I I just try and wake up every day and pick up my Bible, get in the Word, and just just ask God for His will to be done and to help me understand what that is, and just to be aware of it and. Maybe don't don't require a, a car, flipping a car, or, you know, going into the hospital to wake me up. Maybe maybe help me realize it <laughs> in a little more subtle ways. But yeah, I'm finding that uh, subtlety is is not God's plan for how I learn. Um, that's where I'm at, and and boy, is is it just God's got to be there. He is there. Let him be there. Bring him in, and uh, he'll lead you to where you need to go you know yeah man yeah no and and this is one of the reasons why I wanted you to come on the show for your testimony i mean there's a lot of reasons but yeah you don't have maybe like kind of like the typical testimony that i i've had on this show so far where there seems to be maybe like one or maybe two big life events and you know the person just kind of changed their life and right. and have been able to go on and those are great testimonies yeah. but your life has been more of a you know, kind of like you said, just kind of something happens here. You have an opportunity to wake up and you didn't take it. <laughs> right. You go again, didn't take it. You know, you had a, a lot of those until, yeah. yeah. I mean, like you said earlier, you may not have gotten down on your knees when uh, you felt like the Lord uh, said that you should, but you got to that point. Oh, yeah. You've got to that point since. And, and to see you where you're at now, I mean, yeah, this is just raw and this is real. And I think a lot of people can relate to this that, yeah, we all go through struggles and our testimonies aren't going to look very pretty. And it doesn't have to be just, 
you know, one bad thing happens to you and then bam, God shows up and everything is good. Right. It's God works through everything. And to see how God has worked through you and, and, and Alyssa, I mean, and I think we got to give her a lot of credit too. I know you have throughout <laughs> oh, here, amen, but what man. a strong and amazing woman to Unreal. kind of put up with a lot of the stuff that Unreal. you guys yep. have had to go through. And, uh, man, it's been so cool to see how you have grown just in the time that we've known each other the last, what, two years, yeah, if that. Right. And so before we head out here, Ben, I, I'm wondering to the people that, you know, like we talked about, where they're just kind of like, it's just one thing after another, where they 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 know that they've had opportunities to lay things down at the cross and to go the way of the straight and narrow, but they just haven't, or they feel like they can't. They feel like, this is just too difficult. Like yeah. the things I'm doing, the things I've done, just who I am now, what advice would you have for them? Yeah, I guess first and foremost, I'd say your calling is waiting and God is waiting. And it doesn't matter how many times you screw up or make a mistake or defy that voice, right? He'll still be there. And he is there, right? And he has peace and grace and love just waiting to consume you and all you got to do is just let them in and it can be really hard and really scary to think about what feels like completely changing your life and and a lot of it is and it's going to require that a lot of change and hard change but if you let god in and put him at the center I can't even explain to you how much easier it is to make that transition and how much more amazing life is once you do. And yeah, the pain will go away. You'll, you'll, you're going to realize a lot if you continue to just commit to God every day. And, and like I said, it's, um, it's lifelong. I mean, even, you know, even me being years past a lot of, well, I'm not really past any of the the challenges in life, right? I'm, I'm going through them still. And, but even for the people that have maybe those more rigid life transitions and challenges and testimonies, even after you give your life to Christ, struggles don't go away, right? And life can still be very hard and the devil is still present, right? And temptation is still looming every single day. And that's why, you know, even Jesus sat in the the garden of Gethsemane and, and ask God, you know, let your will be done. Right. And lead us not into temptation. Right. I mean, that was something Jesus prayed multiple times. And if Jesus is asking for that, I think that's a good enough sign for us to realize you're never above it. So, uh, and then the last thing I'd say too, is just take it one day at a time. Thinking about three years from now can be really daunting. Right. And thinking about every step that you need to take to get there it can be really hard and really scary and overwhelming. But when you just, when you take it day by day and especially when you're trying to overcome like an addiction and stuff like that, don't think about quitting for weeks or years or your life or changing your life. Think about what am I going to do today to avoid the temptation and just take it one step at a time. And all of a sudden you'll realize it's three weeks in eight weeks in, it's six months in, it's six years in. And I'm as, I'm guilty of, uh, you know, falling back into those temptations. And I think everybody is, but like I said, 
doesn't matter how much you screw up, God's going to be right there waiting for you to come back. Yeah, so, his grace and his mercy and his love is never ending. No, which is unbelievable. And yeah. we all and we all get it. Yep. You know? Doesn't matter who you are. No, not at all. Even me. <laughs> Even you, <laughs> yeah. right? All right. Well, Ben, thank you so much for coming on the show. I really appreciate it, man. You got uh, just a, a great story that I think is going to resonate with a lot of people. So, again, yeah. thank you so much. No, I appreciate you having me on. And if anything, I just, I just hope and pray that somebody finds Christ through this and hard to be yourself sometimes, especially when you're not proud of it. But this is a great opportunity, I think, for people to realize that there's a better life to live and it's through God. Amen. Thanks for bringing it, Terry. Amen. Not a problem. Thank you. Yep. So like I said, Ben's story is really unique to any other testimony I've done so far. Usually those previous testimonies have consisted of someone coming to their lowest point, finding God, and then living for him with all their might after the fact. With Ben, he's had a relationship with God for most of his life, but throughout the series of events he discussed, he let his own defiance and stubbornness get in the way of what God wanted for him until recently. Now that Ben is awake and alive to the things of God, you can hear the motivation he has to chase after the purpose on his life. And that includes owning and operating his marketing and sales agency, Weir's Collaborative. So if you're needing help with graphic design, branding, website development, market research, or anything else you need for your brand and business, check out wecollab.com. That's we with two E's. And I'll link it in the show notes, so get in touch with Ben and see what he can do for you. And if you have any questions for Ben, use the hashtag AskTWT and we'll get him to answer a few. That's it for this episode, and I'll be back next week with the last episode of Season 2. In the meantime, make sure to leave those 5-star ratings on Apple Podcasts and Spotify, write a review, and share this podcast with your friends and family to get the word out about what God is doing. Also, in the meantime, make sure you're living life in such a way that glorifies God and kicks Satan's butt. Peace. Peace.